Welcome to another episode of The Impolite Psychologist. So recently I have been thinking of the movie Forrest Gump, which came out in 1994. And the reason I've been thinking about that is because I have been thinking about the concept of love, specifically love between a parent and a child. And the premise of the movie, if you haven't seen it, is that there is an adult man who has a low IQ, but despite this, achieved great things in his life. And it's him looking back on his life and all the things that happened. And when I think back on that movie, um, there's certain things I remember about it that stand out, mostly related to famous quotes that go with the movie and his achievements. One of the things that doesn't come to my mind right away is his mom in the movie who is played by Sally Field. So Tom Hanks is Forrest Gump. His mom is played by Sally Field. What I never think about when I think back on that movie is sort of the importance that his mother had, the character Forrest Gump's mom had in his life. Although I'm sure if I watched the movie today, that would be very evident, but it's not memorable. But basically, she was a champion for him and did whatever it took to make him successful in life. And she just loved him. And I think that there's a famous quote that does stand out from that movie, and that is Forrest Gump says, I'm not a smart man, but I know what love is. And it kind of speaks to the idea that you don't have to have a high IQ in order to have a high EQ or emotional intelligence. And Often when I speak to people who are not in the field of psychology, their explanations of how somebody is doing usually has to do with their intelligence or their achievements in life. It usually doesn't have anything to do with how they are doing emotionally. And I think because of this, we often mistaken intelligence for mental health, meaning that people who do well and are articulate and successful in life, that they must be mentally well. And that if they have achieved a lot, they must have a certain level of emotional intelligence. And I think that that's actually not true at all, that intelligence and emotional intelligence are on two different unrelated trajectories. So the reason this keeps coming up for me is that I spend a lot of time talking to people who have trauma from their childhood. And sometimes it's very obvious that they were physically or sexually abused in some ways. But even in those cases, it's more of the emotional problems that really traumatize people. It's 
the way that they were treated. So even the physical abuse or the sexual abuse is not necessarily traumatic because of what happened, but more it has to do with the way that screwed up the victim's brain in terms of what they believe to be love, what they believe to be trust, all of that stuff. It's really the scars from the emotional damage that creates the trauma. And so a lot of times people will have this trauma from childhood and they're not even super clear what emotionally loving parents are supposed to be like. Their ideas of love are really sort of confused. And a lot of times their normal kid behaviors were pointed out as pathological in some way by their parents or caregivers. Um, One of the things that stands out to me from I don't know when in my studies of psychology was the idea that a healthy child is a curious child, a child who's interested in learning things and interested in asking questions and interested in how things work and how the world works. So kids like this in a loving family are given the opportunities to learn and the world around them is explained to them in terms that they can understand. In a family in which they are not properly loved, those curious childhood questions become moments of shame for them. So a parent might respond to a curious child with, why are you asking these questions all the time? What's wrong with you? You don't need to know the answer to that. Or, why do you keep bugging me? You keep asking me all these questions. Can't you see that I have things to do? And a lot of times, kids who don't know better will notice things that are off in the family. And they will ask questions about why things are off or don't feel right or make them feel funny on the inside. For example, why is daddy passed out on the park bench in the middle of the day, right? He's just taking a nap. There's nothing wrong. That might be something that a mom would say who's married to a dad who is an alcoholic and embarrasses them. So what ends up happening is, of course, there's a lot of confusion that accompanies trauma, mainly because what kids feel on the inside does not match what's happening on the outside. And so the confusion becomes the trauma because it's like, well, this is how I feel. I feel like what's happening in my family is wrong or it makes me feel icky or weird in some way. But the adults are telling me that the problem is me because I ask too many questions. Or the adults are saying that everything is normal when I don't feel like things are normal on the inside. And so what happens is 
kids start to blame themselves and take on that their very normal kid behavior is abnormal in some way and that they should be ashamed of that. And so this, you can see, turns into an adulthood in which there's a lot of self-blame and shame and feeling like you shouldn't trust any instinct that you have on the inside. And that becomes problematic when you're trying to live your life as an adult and navigate relationships because you've learned that what you're feeling is wrong. So often part of my job is to help people to understand not only what has happened to them to cause the confusion and not being able to trust themselves and not being able to trust the world around them and then also to understand what love is because often people who experience this type of trauma growing up don't know what they should do when someone is actually kind to them and doesn't have an ulterior motive and is genuinely interested in them and curious about them and wants to support them. That becomes, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. They want something for me and I I just don't know what it is yet and that kind of thing. So in my time as a psychologist, I have chosen to not work with young children. And I am comfortable talking with young children, but I am not comfortable with working on the psychological issues of young children because I feel terrible about the idea that I could see that there was a real problem at home and that the parents were not loving their child and maybe doing damage to their child. And it would be a nightmare for me to send a kid back into the lion's den knowing that. And maybe that has to do with my own pessimism. I know that people who work with kids feel good about helping children and they feel good about working with the families. Um, And maybe it's my own lens on pathology where I feel like everything is the parent's fault. I didn't really want to watch the train wreck, to be honest. I didn't want to watch a kid who I had worked with get better and then have to send them home to a really awful environment. And I have worked with people's parents. So I do work with teenagers and I do work with young adults, and often I do have to communicate with the families or with the parents because they are paying or because they are having problems that are occurring inside the home and the family will get in touch with me or the parents will get in touch with me and ask what they should be doing. And then I talk to them about 
where they need to go next and sort of what they need to do in terms of their own behaviors and how they need to validate their child. And sometimes it's great. Those conversations help to move the family forward in a really positive way. But there are other times where I talk to parents and I will say, this is what your child is struggling with. And you probably shouldn't be critical of A, B, and C. That's just, those things are just part of the normal teenage process. And, you know, by all means, give consequences for bad behavior, but understand where they're coming from. And I will get a clear response that says, well, they just need to learn, and I'm not going to do anything differently, and I can't do that. I can't talk about my feelings to my kid, and it's none of their damn business anyway. You know, they just need to learn how to behave better. And so I just consider them unreachable, and I have to be careful in my approach later as I talk to them and sort of helping the kids to navigate through that. Now, I've talked about this before. There are a lot of young people who have parents who are in emergency mode. And I'm sure that you know people in your life who all they ever do is put out fires. Got to get to work. Got to pick up this person. Got to do that. Got to get the groceries. Got to pay the bills. Rinse and repeat. That their whole life is this frantic, anxiety-provoking attempt to survive, and there is little to no joy in their lives at all. And what ends up happening is a kid who grows up in that environment is not being loved, not because the parents are pathological or resistant or anything else, but because they don't have time to really love the children. They're so busy frantically worrying about the suffering of life that they don't take a moment to encourage a child's curiosity or take time out of their day to to help a kid along with something that they're struggling with. Often the child's problems are just put off because something bigger is always going on. And it's not because the parents don't care or don't genuinely love the child. They just haven't shown their love in actions very often. And so even this leads to kids believing that they are somehow unlovable, even though that wasn't the intention of the parents. And so this is the part that I've talked about before, is the idea that if that's how parents live their lives, kids don't want to grow up because what does adulthood mean? It means a joyless suffering in emergency survival mode and not something that they want to sign up for at all. Now, there is an amazing documentary about the life of Luke Bryan, who is a famous country singer, and it's called Dirt Road Diary. And the reason that it's amazing is because, mainly because 
you see a guy who has somehow made it to the top of the country charts and plays stadiums and all of that, who also had some horrible luck or fate or whatever you want to call it with tragedy. And so you kind of realize how amazing he is because of what he has overcome. Now, there's something that happens during this documentary that I'm not sure everybody pays attention to. But basically, there's a moment in time where his dad, who was running a peanut farm, had Luke working for him there. Um, Luke's brother had died. He had tried to make it in Nashville, or he was going to try to make it in Nashville. His brother died. He came home, started working for dad's farm. But what stands out about this situation is his dad talks about it like Luke was there. He was helping out. He was making good money. He was like 25 years old and had a brand new truck. And I realized that he needed more. And I don't know if the dad says it like this, but basically it was his dad who selflessly said to him at some point after the brother's passing, you need to go back to Nashville. And recognized selflessly even though I'm sure he could use the help on the farm, that his kid just needed so much more in his life than working the peanut farm. And I thought that this was amazing, that his dad wasn't articulating some highbrow version of how to be a good parent. It's very clear that he just did what was the right thing in order to love his son. And that is amazing and beautiful. And this is a question that comes up in therapy a lot. When we are working through trauma and we are getting to a place where the person has gotten angry with their parents, been upset about what they didn't get in life and sort of the mistakes that their parents made. They also get to a place where they understand from an adult point of view what their parents also had struggled with. But when it all comes together and we are really moving into healing, they begin to think about how different their life would have been if they had been loved in a different way or loved at all. And often my clients will just say to me, my gosh, what would have been possible in my life had I just been loved and supported and encouraged? How different it could have been, all the things I could have done, all the risks I would have taken had I had that love and support behind me. And then from a therapeutic point of view, the healing really begins because they begin to become the person who loves themselves in the way that they always needed. And then they get better. And that's just how this stuff works. But it is the love. It is 
recognizing the love that is needed, the support that is needed. It is seeing what it looks like, what you would have needed or what the person might have needed growing up in order to feel confident and good about themselves and curious and interested in the world and all of those things. That if they would have gotten that, then everything would be different. And as they are getting that finally from themselves in the end, when they begin to love that part of them, that little child who didn't feel lovable growing up, when they begin to love that child, that's when they begin to understand what they need now, the love that they need now, so that they begin to recognize what that needs to look like for them going forward. And we're talking about romantic relationships, we're talking about friendships, we're talking about relationships with employers, they begin to recognize all the things that they need now in order to feel loved and supported and move forward into better and better relationships so that eventually They are absolutely surrounded with all the love and support that they need going forward. And then anything becomes possible in this future in which you are loved and supported and you have people who will set you straight when you need to be set straight and are honest with you, but also encourage you to try new things care about how you feel, make sure you're okay when you need someone to check in with you. When you create that life around you, that love around you, your future really is without limits. And so I hope that you take this yourself and recognize what you need And how you could heal by loving yourself and by seeking out people who are genuine and care and want to love you and want the best for you and want to stand behind you as you move forward. And if not, if you find that you can't love the kid you, the person inside of you who's a little kid and doesn't feel lovable, if you can't love that person, then it is time to go to therapy and sort that out. So I wish you the best. Be well. And thank you for listening.